0: this episode is brought to you by squarespace the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website portfolio and online store for a free trial and 10 percent off visit squarespace.com and enter the offer code less dumb at checkout a better web starts with your website this episode is also brought to you by the great courses who believes that learning doesn't stop after you finish school offering engaging video and audio lectures taught by top professors and experts who are passionate and knowledgeable, making the topics that they explain fascinating and wonderful, with more than 500 courses on many subjects, including science, history, literature, music, and more, available as DVDs, audio CDs, or streaming online to any device. For a limited time, you are not so smart listeners can get understanding the mysteries of human behavior by professor and psychologist Mark Leary at 80% off the original price. Just go to thegreatcourses.com slash smart. That's thegreatcourses.com slash smart. Welcome to the You Are Not So Smart Podcast, episode 31, in between, episode 5. This is an in between episode of the You Are Not So Smart podcast, so it's going to have a different format than a usual episode. No expert, no cookies, but what we're going to do instead is talk about a psychological phenomenon, a single thing in the world of psychology that you have to deal with every day, something that you had to deal with your entire life. You've noticed it probably before, but you didn't know that it had a name. and You didn't know that science has studied it and offers some solutions about how to deal with it. You've been there. You get serious about losing weight and start to mind every calorie. You read labels, work out the math for a serving size. You stock up on fruit and vegetables. You look up how to properly cut onions and bell peppers on YouTube. You hit the gym. You get an app to track your progress and everything is going fine. You feel great. You feel like a champion. You think to yourself, this is actually kind of easy. I can't believe I waited so long to do this. And then one day you eat a piece of chocolate. Maybe you just give in the temptation a little bit and you try a a cake donut at work, or you get a bag of chips because you can't find anything else in the vending machine. Or maybe you go a bit further and you, you grab a beer or maybe a cheeseburger with friends. Maybe you're out to lunch and you say, what the hell, I'll have the fettuccine Alfredo. It seems like you can just handle this one transgression, but then that afternoon, since you've already cheated a little bit, you think maybe tonight you can just eat whatever you want. You'll start back tomorrow. To celebrate the occasion, You eat a whole pint of ice cream or a whole pizza. Before you know it, you're in the middle of a catastrophic diet-destroying binge. And then you look around the room and you notice among the ruins all these empty containers, and you know that what was once in them is now in you. And you ask, what the hell? How did my smooth transition from comfort food to human dumpster happen Shouldn't I be smarter than this? Shouldn't I be more in control of myself? Well, what you just experienced is called in psychology an extinction burst, a predictable and common blast of defiance from the recesses of a brain denied familiar rewards. And food, of course, is one of the most powerful rewards that keeps you alive. And your brain didn't evolve in an environment where there was an abundance of this thing that keeps you alive. So wherever you find a high calorie, high fat, high sodium source, your natural inclination is to eat a lot of it and then go back to it over and over again. And if you take away a reward like that, especially if you become accustomed to indulging, especially if you abruptly turn off the flow of pleasure, you can expect to eventually throw an internal tantrum. much of your behavior is the result of conditioning, it is among the most basic factors shaping the way any organism reacts to the world. If your actions lead to positive outcomes, you're more likely to continue them. Your brain doles out pleasant emotions through chemical gifts whenever you do something that benefits the organism that it pilots. If your actions lead to a negative outcome, you're more likely to avoid that behavior in the future. Over time, you begin to predict reward and punishment by linking longer and longer series of events to their eventual outcomes. Say you want some chicken nuggets. You know you can't just snap your fingers and wait for them to appear. You must engage in a long sequence of actions. Walk to closet, put on shirt, find shoes, apply to feet, find keys, find car, drive to nuggets, use language, exchange money. This string of behaviors could be sliced up to even smaller and smaller components. We really wanted to dig down into the conditioning you have endured in order to be able to get nuggets into your mouth. Just driving the car from point A to point B is a complex performance with thousands of steps, all of which become automatic after hundreds of hours of practice. Millions of tiny behaviors, each one a single step in a process, all add up to a single operation you have learned will pay off in reward. Think of a rat in a maze, learning a complicated series of steps. Turn left two times, turn right once, turn left, right, left, right, and get cheese. Even microorganisms can be conditioned to react to stimuli and predict outcomes. And this concept, conditioning, for a good long while, was the cat's pajamas in psychology. In the 1960s and 70s, Burris Frederick Skinner became a scientist celebrity by scaring the shit out of America with an invention called the operant conditioning chamber, or as you may have heard it called, the Skinner Box. This box is an enclosure which can have any combination of levers and food dispensers, and electric floor, lights and loudspeakers. And scientists place animals in this box and either reward them or punish them to either encourage or discourage their behaviors. Rats, for example, can be taught to push a lever when a green light appears to get a food pellet. Skinner once demonstrated how he could teach a pigeon to spin in circles at his command by offering food only when it turned in one direction— gradually he withheld the food until the pigeon had turned a little farther and farther until he had it going round and round he could even get the pigeon to distinguish between the word peck and turn and then get them to perform the corresponding behavior by just showing these pigeons a sign yes in a sense he taught a bird how to read Skinner discovered you could get pigeons and rats to do complicated tasks by slowly building up chains of behaviors through handing out pellets of food. For example, if you want to teach a squirrel how to water ski, you just need to start very small and then work your way up. Other researchers added punishment to these routines and it was discovered that these two could be used to shape behavior like the pellets and encourage and discourage all sorts of actions. Skinner became convinced that conditioning was the root of all behavior. And just didn't believe in rational thinking. He didn't believe that reason had anything to do with your personal life. He considered introspection to be a collateral product, quote unquote, of conditioning. Like Freud and Einstein, Skinner became this celebrity in his day. And his beliefs were all about human beings being robots, basically. And this was very unsettling. He made the cover of Time Magazine in 1971. And he said, quote, my book is an effort to demonstrate how things go bad when you make a fetish out of individual freedom and dignity. If you insist that individual rights are the summum bonum, then the whole structure of society falls down. Now, some psychologists and philosophers still hold to the idea that you are nothing but a sophisticated automaton, like a spider or a fish. You have no freedom, no free will. Your brain is made of atoms and molecules which must obey the laws of physics and chemistry. And so some say your mind is locked into the service of rules, rules of the universe, like a clock. Everything you have thought felt and done in your life was the natural mathematical aftermath of the big bang. Now you may take comfort in knowing that this is a hotly contested idea, both scientifically and philosophically, but whether or not free will is real, Conditioning most certainly is. And the effects of conditioning, the, the way it shapes our lives, it really shouldn't be ignored. There are two kinds of conditioning, classical and operant. In classical conditioning, something which normally doesn't have any influence over you becomes a trigger for an involuntary response. Normally, flushing the toilet doesn't produce fear in your heart, but if you are taking a shower and someone flushes the toilet and then the water becomes a scalding torrent, you become conditioned to recoil in terror while in the shower the next time you hear the toilet flush. That's classical conditioning. Something neutral, the toilet flushing, becomes charged with meaning and expectation. You have no control over it. If you've ever been eating or drinking something that you love and it got you sick, then you will avoid that in the future. The smell of it or even the thought of it can make you ill. For me, it's tequila. Like, yeah. See, classical conditioning keeps you alive. You learn quickly to avoid that which may harm you and seek out that which makes you happy, like an amoeba. The sort of complex behavior Skinner was able to shape was the result of operant conditioning. Operant conditioning modifies existing behaviors, making them more or less frequent, following certain outcomes. Inclinations become greater through reinforcement or diminish through punishment. You arrive early to the theater, you get a better seat. You frequently wash your hands, you don't get sick. You pay the rent on time, you don't get wet when it rains. You don't rob banks, and you don't go to jail you play the slot machine, and sometimes, every once in a while, you get some money. Which brings us back around to that third factor that we were talking about at the beginning, extinction. When you're under the spell of operant conditioning, and you expect to receive a reward or a punishment after a certain behavior, but nothing happens, your conditioned response starts to fade away. If you stop letting your cat in the bedroom after he meows and scratches at the door, he will eventually stop begging to be let in. His behavior will go extinct. Right as the behavior is breathing its final breath, that's when you can expect an extinction burst. Your cat will begin meowing like crazy, pawing at the door for what seems like hours. And parents are very familiar with this pattern. If you've ever seen an episode of The Super Nanny, then you've probably seen an extinction burst. In one episode that I watched recently on YouTube, this toddler, he would not go to bed no matter what the parents tried. And they would argue with him. They would fight with him for hours. They would struggle. And eventually he just passed out out of exhaustion. So the super nanny comes along and she offers some advice. She suggests they put him in his crib and just sit in the room and ignore him. The extinction burst will come and go. She says, of course she uses a different terminology than that, but that's what she suggests will happen. And if he attempts to escape the crib, she tells the parents just put him back and go back to ignoring him. So the mother, she follows her advice and the extinction burst was massive screaming and crying the child sang all sorts of things, whimpering, all sorts of horrible little comments, mama, 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 heart imploding things. And the mother, it was miserable for her. She even cries and breaks down, but she sticks to it, which is, you know, this is the thing that the extinction burst is trying to create inside of you. And she just keeps looking at the wall. And after about 20 minutes, the child stopped, snuzzled into the covers, and went to sleep. Of course, this happens inside of you all the time. Just before you give up on a long practice routine, you freak out. It's a final desperate attempt by the oldest parts of your brain to keep getting rewarded. Matt Webb, he talks about this over at his website, interconnected.org, and he uses a great example. He says that if you use an elevator, the same elevator, every day to get to the, your apartment and it's like 10 flights up, 10 flights of stairs, And one day you press the button and nothing happens. You don't just immediately take the stairs. You start jamming all the buttons over and over again. You get mad. You ask around for help. You talk to other people. You go back and forth, pressing the buttons again and again. And then finally, finally, you take the stairs. If you lock your keys in your apartment, but your roommate is asleep, you ring the doorbell and knock. But if they don't come, you ring the doorbell over and over and over and over again. You start pounding at the door. If your computer freezes up, you don't just walk away, you start clicking all over the place and maybe go so far as to bang your fist on the keyboard, trying, like the cat at the door and the child in the crib, everything you can think of to bring back the expected results. Extinction bursts are, they're a temporary increase in a behavior that usually precedes a reward. It's a plea from the recesses of your psyche as soon as the condition response is no longer yielding results. So here's some great advice that I found at canine university magazine. It's about dog training, but it gets into some advice on human training and it goes like this. The worst thing this is quoted from the article. The worst thing you could ever do is give in to a temper tantrum. This goes for adults too, because if you spend enough time observing other people, you will notice that people who are used to getting their way will start a temper tantrum immediately after you have refused their request. If you patiently restate your opinion and stay calm, You'll see the person eventually gives up. Depending upon how long he carries on will tell you how other people have responded to that person in the past. If he has been rewarded for having a fit often enough, the extinction burst will be spectacular. Enjoy. If it's short-lived, it will be over as quick as it started and you can feel good that you haven't encouraged it. The best way to eliminate a tantrum is to not give in. Wait out the extinction burst. Walking away works wonders and reinforce the absence of the tantrum with your attention as soon as the person stops. That's some great advice. Born from the wisdom of dog trainers. Taken from Canine University Magazine. Back to that diet. If you eliminate a reward from your life, like awesome and delicious high-calorie foods, right as you're about to give it up forever, right as you're ready to do away with it for the rest of your life, an extinction burst will threaten to demolish your willpower. You become like a two-year-old in a conniption fit, and like the child, if you give in to the demands, the behavior will be strengthened. And the next time you try, the burst will come sooner. And it will be stronger. Compulsive overeating is a frenzied state of mind. Food addiction under pressure until it bursts. And diets fail for many reasons. Much of them are associated with your body trying to survive in a situation where surviving starvation is much less of an issue than it thinks it is. And to give up overeating or smoking or lying around watching Netflix as your biceps atrophy or any bad habit which was formed through conditioning, you must be prepared to weather the secret weapon of your unconscious, the extinction burst. So, become your own super nanny, your own dog whisperer. Look for alternative rewards and positive reinforcement. Set goals, and when you achieve them, shower yourself with garlands of your choosing. And don't freak out when it turns out to be difficult. Habits form because you are not so smart, and they cease under the same conditions and most of all get ready for the extinction burst you've been warned extinction bursts are coming and if you're prepared if you know it's coming you can weather the storm and watch it pass you can watch the bad behavior go extinct forever and only see it again as a fossil in photographs from previous epochs in your life as part of a previous you. That was extinction bursts, which is a, um, it's something that I wrote about at you are not so smart.com years ago, but I went back and re researched and rewrote it for this episode. You can see all the sources for the new stuff at youarenotsosmart.com and the music beds that you heard in that piece that's all by banjo apocalypse. And now we take a break from our program for a word from our sponsors. Squarespace is the all in one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, and online store. And we are very happy to have Squarespace sponsoring the show. We thank them for their support because Squarespace is actually something that I've used. I've created websites with it. My davidmcrainy.com website is made through Squarespace. And when I tell someone who wants to put together A website quickly and easily, I tell them to give out Squarespace for the exact same reasons that Squarespace says you should give them a shot. Things like it's simple and easy, it's a beautiful design, it's all drag and drop. And the second that you change something and hit save, it appears on the internet exactly the way you made it. And they have 24 7 support through live chat and email. So any time of the day, day or night, any day of the week, if anything is giving you trouble or you just want to know how to do something, you just ask and you get the answer. And that is really cool if you've tried out other services. Plans start at $8 a month, and they include a free domain name if you sign up for a year. So here's what you do. If you want to create an e-commerce site, an online store, a portfolio, anything, you can start your free trial with no credit card required. And just begin building your website by going to Squarespace and entering in this offer code, less dumb. You'll get 10% off your first purchase, and that will also show your support for the show. So we thank you, Squarespace. Thanks for being supporters of You Are Not So Smart. And remember, everyone out there, a better web starts with your website. You Are Not So Smart is also sponsored by The Great Courses. This is such a great company, guys. They believe that learning doesn't stop after you finish school. And if you love like YouTube videos and stuff that try to teach you things about the world, what they offer that's different is that everything is taught by a professor, by an expert, And then all the information is vetted by other experts to make sure that it is up-to-date and absolutely correct and factual. And all of these people, they have top professors, experts who are passionate and knowledgeable, and they make all the topics fascinating in their explanations. With more than 500 courses on many subjects, including science and history and literature and music, you can get whatever you want available as a DVD or an audio CD or as a streaming thing that you can plug into any of your devices, whether it's your smartphone, your computer, your laptop, your your tablet, whatever. And for a limited time, you're not so smart listeners can get, and I was able to pick what I wanted to have in this offer. And I picked something I thought you would like. You can get understanding the mysteries of human behavior by professor and psychologist, Mark Leary at 80% off the original price, 80% off. All you have to do is go to the smart, and you will find the page that's just there for you're not so smart listeners to get that special offer. So this thing that I picked, you're going to love this course because it comes from a unique perspective. Uh, Mark Leary groups things differently in psychology than I think I would or or other people. And by grouping it differently, I think it really offers a a great insight and understanding into solving the science behind emotions and thoughts and behaviors, uh, even from an evolutionary perspective. So he offers insights into all sorts of things. And I'm looking at this booklet that comes with your with your DVD and then uh, these lectures, there's so many of them. What do we have here? 24 lectures. Wow. So there are things like, why do we have emotions and why do we care what other people think of us? What is prejudice and conflict and how come it's so common? Why do relationships succeed or fail? Even, even like little things like why do people blush? Uh, Why don't adolescents act like adults? And, are there psychic powers? And since, of course, they're not, why do so many people believe there are? So look, I think this is a really great course. And look, you get 80% off. So all you have to do, don't wait. Go to thegreatcourses.com smart. That's thegreatcourses.com smart. And now we return to our program. So I asked you on Facebook about your own habits, your own extinction burst, bad things that you tried to overcome. And here's some of the things that you said. I, um, I love all these. They're all great. Paul Gogian said that he actually decided to quit smoking yesterday after quitting smoking for a little bit of time last year, cold turkey. So he's already gone through one extinction burst and is coming back around again to see if he can uh, can overcome it this time. I wish you luck. Paula Schmidt Clauser. She says that I quit after a few not so serious attempts. I dreamed about smoking for ten years after that. I dreamt I would be at the checkout lane at the grocery store where cigarettes were displayed in racks. And I would delightfully look through them all and choose a package. I would then go home and smoke the whole thing at once, and then she would wake up <laughs> refreshed by the dream. Ollie Craig said that he quit smoking for seven years, and then he went to a friend's wedding in Moscow, had too much fun. Too much vodka. And since everyone smokes in Russia, he just fell off the wagon. He has been smoking ever since. Do you hear that? That is the power of that splurge, the, the ability for your brain to yank you back into the, uh, the bad habit through an extinction burst. Maggie Spear says that biting her nails has always been a problem, and she had grown out of it twice in her life, but during extreme stress would go back to doing it again, and that she hasn't bitten her nails in about three months now, which is the longest ever she's gone without it. And she has no desire to do it. But despite that, stress is coming around because she's graduating. And um, she's scared, but she thinks that the habit is broken. Eric Gaydon said that he quit smoking for 19 years after many failed attempts, after many attempts to to stop himself from smoking, he would go back to it. And the last time he was able to quit, and he used a website called whyquit.com. And he's now an ER nurse, and he sends his patients to that website. So Check that out. Eric Gayden says, whyquit.com. It uses all sorts of techniques, and a quit counter is what he says helps. But here's the one that I think uh, we should all pay attention to, and that is Carolyn Carter says she quit smoking after 46 years and she did it cold turkey. She has COPD and bronchitis, and that was her wake up call. And she said, if she can quit a bad habit after 46 years, anyone else can. <laughs> In the sixth episode of the You're Not So Smart podcast, we talked to Elizabeth Dunn, a psychologist who studies money and experiences and what actually makes us happy. She has a book called Happy Money, and her explanation of what we ought to be doing, what the science suggests, is really simple, and that is you should be trying to purchase experiences and not things. Over time, things just lose their luster, but memories they don't lose their luster. They actually improve with age. We add to them. They, they add to us. They make us who we are and it can increase all sorts of things in our lives that we consider to be metrics of our own happiness. They can increase the, the potency of those things. When I wrote about it for the, the podcast, the post for the podcast, I posed a couple questions. I'm going to ask them of you right now and see what you think. And uh, here we go. Which would you rather have a thousand dollars in cash, or a gourmet meal prepared for you and your friends cooked by and enjoy in the company of Gordon Ramsey? Or how about, um, a car, the kind of car that they, they put in posters that go up in teenage boys rooms that has doors that open, um, that in an unusual manner, or would you rather spend a year practicing guitar for a chance to play a single show with the red hot chili peppers? Or would you rather have a mansion like, Jay Gatsby, fully decorated and furnished, or would you rather have the memories of a month spent on the International Space Station? And as I wrote in that post, when you ask people these kind of questions in psychological surveys, most people choose the tangible things over their experiences. But the research suggests that those those experiences would actually provide more happiness, especially after five or six years. They provide way more happiness in the long run. But people don't seem to understand that. And so it came back around again recently. I saw in Scientific American, uh, there's an article that says, uh, people think experiences bring happiness, comma, still opt for things. And that's by Erica Barris. And it is all about this new research that came out of the Journal of Positive Psychology. It's a paper by Paula Bachelin and Ryan Howell. And the name of this paper is The Hidden Cost of Value-Seeking, People Do Not Accurately Forecast the Economic Benefits of experiential purchases. This was published in February of 2014. And what the researchers found was that this is not actually something that is shocking to people. When you tell people this, they go, of course, that makes total sense. And that's, uh, that's something that is really bizarre because when you study them, as they did in this study, and you ask them directly about life experiences versus material things, People forecast their future happiness and their well-being as being um, bolstered more by experiences than by things. And when you ask them about what should you be buying, they'll say experiences over things. But then those same people, when studied longitudinally, don't actually do that. Whenever they're given the opportunity to choose one or the other, they still choose the things. So knowing this is true does not equate to action. It's something that's very difficult to overcome. And they say... They say in this study that the reason for this is because since it's so difficult to quantify an experience and so easy to quantify a material thing, we prefer taking the uh, cognitive path that is of least resistance, which is to do the thing that is easiest and it is easiest to quantify this thing. And that's what we ascribe value to. And that's why even knowing that we ought not do it, we still do it. It's hard to overcome it. And it reminded me of the research of uh, Dan Ariely who He writes about in his book, Predictably Irrational, about how uh, we sort of have two systems for assigning value. This um, primate system that is uh, devoted to keeping things smooth in social situations. And then this uh, cultural system that we've learned, which places, uh, you know, numbers and figures and things that are easy to quantify on top of value. And he gives examples of, say, let's say you ask someone to help you move and then in thanks you offer to buy them dinner or you offer to, uh, you know, you, you bring out a six pack and you share some beers with them or something like that. But if you ask someone to help you move and then at the end of it, you just hand over a $20 bill that feels horribly icky by comparison because you're putting a, a solid standard figure of measurement on top of something. And it really doesn't seem like $20 is, uh is what your time is worth, right? But uh, even if the meal costs $20, that's different. That's an experience. That's a social thing. And we have sort of two systems for assigning value. And likewise, when we we look for things that give us joy and pleasure in, in life and then that fulfill us and enrich us, those are more often experiences than things. But even knowing that, this latest research says that it is very difficult to overcome the urge to go for one instead of the other. So here's my advice. When you are... Rewarding yourself for doing all that hard work to earn all that money that you have in your pockets. Don't say thanks by handing over a $20 bill, which is basically what happens when you buy a thing for someone. Say thanks by buying you an experience. That is it for this episode of the You Are Not So Smart podcast. Go to youarenotsosmart.com, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or iTunes to listen to all the previous episodes of this podcast. Head to boingboing.net for more great podcasts like this one. And you can find links to everything that I talked about today at the show page for this episode at youarenotsosmart.com. Also, send your cookie recipes to David at you so And if I bake your cookie, I'll send you a signed copy of one of my books. And you can follow you are not so Smart on Twitter, on Facebook, on Google+. Plus. On Twitter, it's at NotSmartBlog. And I am at David McCraney. The music at the beginning, that's Clash by Caravan Palace. And the rest of the music this episode, that was by banjo Apocalypse.